Welcome, everybody. Um, this is the invitation, our series where we uh, speak with Prison Yoga Project facilitators from around the world. And this morning, we have a very special guest, a retired Colorado State judge um, uh, turned uh, yoga teacher, uh, Mr. Victor Reyes. Um, and thank you. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, Bill. And welcome to everybody. I was going to say hello, but I think it gets lost in the chat as people um, fill in. So um, I am just so um, honored and blessed and humbled to be here with everybody. Um, and I'm looking forward to learning from, from everyone who has been gracious enough to attend this session. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm very excited because you have had such a, I mean, your, your, your life, um, you, you've spent in, in, uh, in contact with the criminal justice system, starting out as a public defender, and then, um, we'll get more into the story, but ultimately, uh, coming full, full circle and in retirement, uh, choosing to go back in to facilitate yoga, not just in prisons or jails, but also, um, with, um, survivors of, uh, domestic, uh, uh, violence. So very excited to learn more about this whole art. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, we'd like to probably get started with a little bit of a centering. So would right. you, uh, do us the honor? All right. Thank you so much. And, um, once again, I appreciate everybody being here. So wherever you may be in whatever position is most comfortable to you, sitting, standing, laying down, just um, making sure that if we're seated, uh, that our backs are straight. And we can do that by lifting our sternum, the bone that is located over the heart, just slightly. And first of all, we're going to set a motivation for this entire meeting and a motivation for doing this practice here today. So one of the great, and everybody's got their own reasons for being here. Um, but for me, the greatest motivation in doing any of these practices is hoping to be in such a place, either physically, emotionally, mentally, or all of, all of these um, uh, all of these types of um, experiences um, that may we be centered enough in our lives to be in a better place to provide service to other beings who are in either distress or who are suffering in any manner whatsoever. And, and, and when we talk about beings, we're talking about all beings. So. Let's just start by focusing on our breath with our exhalation, allowing our shoulders just to relax a little bit more. Also with our exhalation, releasing any expectations of what's going to be happening here today. Just kind of accepting things as they are. And to begin this practice of centering, of connecting with our bodies, Let's take in three slow, deep breaths, drawing the breath through the nostrils, if, if that works for you, all the way down to our tummies, filling up our tummies, and slowly exhaling. Once again, inhaling, drawing the breath down all the way down to our tummies, 
Filling it up like a little balloon and slowly exhaling. And one last breath, drawing that breath down to our tummies, filling our tummies up and slowly exhaling. And at this point, let's release any control of our breaths, allowing our body to breathe in its normal way, in its natural way. And as with any practice, if something doesn't feel right for you about doing this, it's very simple. You just don't have to. Nobody has a right to control what you think or what to do with your body. And if something just doesn't feel like we don't want to do it, we just don't do it. We have that freedom of choice. We're blessed with freedom of choice. But if we're going to continue with the centering practice, bring our focus, our awareness to the area of our forehead, relaxing and releasing the muscles in the forehead. And now slowly moving our focus, our awareness to the area around our eyes, relaxing and releasing the muscles around our eyes. And now bringing our awareness, our attention to the area of our jaw. We hold so much stress, so much tension in our jaw as much as possible. Let's relax and release the muscles in our jaw. And finally, bringing our awareness, our focus to the area around our mouth. Relaxing and releasing the muscles around our mouth. Imagining our face is like that of an, an infant as it's sleeping, or how we would be just right before falling into sleep. And although we've silenced by this practice our outward speech, we may still have some of that inner talk going on, that monkey mind happening. And let's try as much as we can to allow any emotions, feelings, images, noises, whatever arises in the mind. Imagine those as cloud and that your mind is like the bright blue sky and all these emotions, images just float away. Don't grab them, don't give them legs, don't reify them, but allow them just to arise and float away like clouds in the sky. Or even like leaves in a gentle flowing stream. It's impossible to totally empty out our minds, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're just Settling our mind and our body in its natural state. And now bringing our awareness, our focus to our breath. And we can focus on one of two areas. Bring our awareness to one of two areas. Either the rise and fall of the tummy. Noticing how when I inhale, my tummy rises. When I exhale, my tummy falls. Or maybe even 
the area around our nostrils. Noticing how the cool air enters our body when we inhale and how warm, life-giving air exhales our body on the exhale. And now moving our awareness to our body. If we're seated in a chair or if we're seated on a cushion with our backs against the wall, noticing how the wall or the seat or the floor supports your body, supports your back. And if you're seated on a cushion, bringing your awareness down to the area of your sitting bones and your legs. Noticing how the earth supports your sitting bones and your legs. If we're seated in a chair, we may want to bring our focus, our awareness, all the way down to our feet. Noticing how the ground, the earth, supports our feet. Once again, bring our focus or awareness to our backs if we're seated against a wall or in a chair, how the back of the chair supports our back. Maybe even with every exhalation, allowing us to sink a little bit deeper in our seat. And if we're seated on a cushion or we're laying down, just how the ground supports my body. And now let's return to the focus of our attention, our breath, either the rise and fall of the tummy with every inhalation or exhalation, or the coolness on the inhale of the air as it enters in through the outer part of our nostrils, and how the warm air leaves our body when we exhale. Just a couple more breaths. And slowly open your eyes. You're muted, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) So relaxed. Not even uh, conscious. I'm muted. Yeah, thank you so much. It's uh, uh, an, uh, always a little bit of a surprise to me um, how much. I don't know why it still remains such a surprise, but even just a nice short few moments spent breathing embodied how that shifts uh, just everything. I feel a. Uh, 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 a very different sense of uh, of awareness of my being here present with you now. So thank you. I appreciate that. It help, helps me a lot because I'm I'm a little nervous. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I want to ask what um, 
Do you recall your first um, experience with yoga and meditation? Yes, my first contact with meditation was probably years and years ago. I knew somebody who had was suffering with is it TMJ, um, and that they were dealing with that through meditation. And so I I remember once seeing her meditate, but I I didn't join. So I mean that was my first brush with meditation. Um, and in the context of dealing with pain, mm-hmm. um, and then fast forward, like, you know, as life changes and things happen and we all, you know, go through, uh, just the challenges of life, you know, not bad things or good things, just things that happen. And eventually in 20, I think it was, yeah, uh, 2012, um, I ended up, um, through a friend of mine going to a studio and, meeting the people. And then, um, that friend went on a trip and then I just basically just submerged myself in this fountain of health yoga studio and, and just found community, which was outside of like, you know, that's not like I had a bunch of friends at work, you know, as, as a judge, you get very isolated. Mm. And so my community at the time, it, you know, I mean, they're, great guys, uh, men and women, but the musicians, because I was playing with some bands for, for a little while. But then I find a different kind of community. Um, and then as I started going through the practices, um, there comes that, at least for me, and I, everything I say is just my perspective, you know, about systems, about my experiences, just totally from my point of view. Um, there was that moment like in Trikonasana where I just got like upset. I mean, just like release something. Mm. And then with meditations, um, I just noticed a shift in my, you know, you know, mentally, physically, I mean, all of the above. And so, and like I said, I was taking like two to three classes a day. I mean, I, I, when I jumped in, I jumped in big. I learned a lesson about, seeing somebody doing something and trying to do it and then hurting my knee. It's like, not cool. You know? So, you know, there was that ego thing. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, ego comes up in the weirdest of places and just, you know, continuously just um, remind you that, you know, you got a lot of work to do. Um, then I noticed um, as time goes on, I ended up doing this pretty big trial up in Colorado Springs because I was, uh, they needed a judge up there because of the circumstances of this case. And I'd done a lot of murder trials, either as a lawyer or as a judge, but this one was different. And this was like three months long. So it was the the longest cases I did, two and a half, three months by the time the verdict came back. But I noticed there was a difference in how I felt because when in between like the recesses or lunches, I was meditating and I had my yoga mat up in the office up there. Or Or I was walking but it was a walking meditation. Mm. And I, I could tell that my, there was a shift in my physically dealing with being in that stressful environment, mentally being a lot more aware and emotionally handing, handling things in a much better way. Um, because, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's got their perspectives on their lives, but, 
you know, being a judge is an extremely stressful situation. Um, you have a lot of things that you're dealing with at one time, especially in jury trials. So it was that experience like, wow, I noticed how I felt and how I looked when I done previous trials, but here I'm sitting in this thing for two and a half, three months. And I'm like going, this is exactly where I need to be. This case is exactly where I need to be. And usually it's like, oh, I can't wait to go home, you know? And so it, it was just, it was just such a major shift. And the only difference, the only difference was the practices. And so that's what I share with judges now as part of the, I, I, um, worked with the National Council of Juvenile Family Court Judges at Areno. And they have this huge emphasis on judicial wellness now. So this story I share about this shift with yoga, and I'm hoping this answers your question. I'm kind of please, going. Please, continue. Um, yes. And so this shift with yoga and meditation, and it's not only the yoga and meditation, but I, I think, I mean, we have to remember that there's like eight branches of yoga. Yeah. So we're talking about bringing in all those other considerations other than just asanas and the meditation. You know, we're talking about ethics, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I've pretty much lived a pretty ethical life, you know, uh, but then it was nice to have guidelines of living instead of mandates of, you know, if you don't, you know, I, I hope people understand what I'm saying, but I think it's all of that coming in together and the shifts in my life. Um, and then it was just, you know, I had, I'd been doing it 30 years. I was 15 years as a public defender, yeah. 15 years as a judge. Um, when I was in law school, um, I was involved with uh, working with the Montgomery County Public Defender's Office up in Rockville because I went to school in D.C. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there were days like I would rather spend my time in the office or in the jail up in Rockville than being in school. Because I found it a lot more beneficial for what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it. And, and so that was the, my first experience with going into jails, you know, my, my first experience. And it wasn't like I set out to be a lawyer. You know, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a high school teacher like Mr. Wemmers in North Miami high, because he just, he influenced lives. And then I, I graduated from high, from college going, Oh, wow. I don't have any educational credits. I have a history philosophy and political science type of degrees. What am I going to do with this? And somebody said, why don't you go to law school? You can, you know, you don't, it'll defer your loans for three years. It's like, great. You know? Um, But once I got into working with folks in the criminal system, it just felt right. Um, And, uh, and then, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that this is answering your question. I know I'm kind of filling in some background here. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, 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 it leads me to, you mentioned that, you know, you, you thought, well, I want to be a teacher um, because somebody had come into your life, obviously it sounds like, and had affected your life and you'd seen the way this person had affected others. And then you said you found yourself in, you know, when you were in law school, you'd rather be in the jails than in class do you do you have a sense of what it was that uh you know i it i I liked working with the people i liked the challenges Mm -hmm. um but i really liked working with the guys in the jail you know Mm -hmm. because we we were we'd go in as interns in the in the office in the pd's office 
and we'd help people prepare their speech for the judge on bond hearings. Mm. And so we, we would kind of give them what they needed to say in order to convince a judge to release them, you know, pre-trial. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I don't, I, I just, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed working on the cases. I mean, I saw, you see a lot of horrible things that people are capable of doing to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw a lot of that over the course of the 30 years. Um, um, But, you know, I I, I guess that's probably the best way to explain. And I was a judge. I can tell you, I I used everything I learned as a lawyer and the way my clients reacted to certain judges Mm -hmm. to kind of um, guide the way I was as a judge. And I was pretty firm. I, I thought I was I mean, I felt fair, but I very firm. And that also came from, you know, even like in 2012, I met this one monk out of um, Ladakh, out of North India. And, you know, I went to this monk asking about compassion. And I didn't get the like thing I was going to get from this Buddhist monk. He talked about compassion for your community. Mm -hmm. But it's just not the people who are appearing before you but the compassion for the victims, their families, the, the person who's accused of the crime, their families. Um, and, and so that, um, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting mix of things when I try to actually, you know, put words to it, to it. So. Yeah. That's just the second time this word has come up and, community, because this is what you mentioned when you talked about your first getting involved with um, um, uh, with yoga and uh, how that really gave you a community at a time that you said you were feeling like, as a judge, isolated. Um, and, you know, this is, of course, we didn't call the our new website community.prisonyoga.org for nothing, because we recognize that this, um, uh, that community really, um, I mean, this is sort of the foundation. And I think that one of the ways that I understand what might lead somebody to harm another person is feeling that disconnect. Um from community that, uh, you know, in a, like a sense of, I need to be, you know, out for myself in this. Um, and, and I'm realizing too, that the position that I've, my experience with the criminal justice system has always been, you know, well, some, some folks on trial in trial, but always with, um, a person who's, uh, defending themselves or somebody who's been convicted and, and sentenced, but as a, as a public defender, and then later as a judge, you've got a much broader perspective of the whole community in there, um, in that trial phase. And I'm wondering how that, um, because I know that the work you do now, you're not, you're not, to get, you're not just facilitating programs in uh, incarceration settings, but you're also working with survivors. Well, the survivors are in the prisons. So, so, what, uh, so, kind of what happened was um, some something shifted in my life. I woke up one morning and 
I was reading an article about the youth offender system, which is, is it's a mm-hmm. statewide facility, but located here in Pueblo. I'm in Pueblo, um, Colorado in the United States. So I looked at this article and it was about the young guy, the young people. And it's specifically set up for people, with, uh, young men um, and women who've been and there's only there was like only six um, young women in this facility. Um, so about 200 or so, 250 young men who are there, but they're all convicted of violent crimes. And basically, a judge sentences them to YOS, as, and if they mess up in YOS, they're going to be put in to one of the other prison facilities. And they can be there from, I think, ages of like, you know, 13. I, I, you know, things shift and the law shifts so much. And I've been out of this for six years, so I don't want to give you numbers and somebody look it up and say, oh, you, you didn't know what you're talking about. You know, things <laughs> shift um, because they had older people, older uh, yeah. um, people there, too, from when I was from when I was working. Um, so I looked at this thing and I go, this is where I need to be. Hmm. That moment was this is where I need to be. And um, I this is after you had retired. This is after I'd retired because I retired January of 2015. So now we're talking, I traveled, um, I'd gotten my uh, yoga teacher training in a little ashram in India. um, That was part of a three, four month trip that I took um, in, in the end of, uh, in the end of 2015 into 2016. Um, So, I mean, I had 30 years in and I was done. I was like 55 years old. So I'm lucky that I got to retire at a younger age. Most people are starting this judicial career at my age. I got to get out of everything and into something else, you know? Um, so, uh, so I looked at this thing and, and I, and I, um, I thought I'm going to drive down there. So I literally got into my clothes from my bed where I was reading the newspaper on my phone and went down there. Of course they moved it from where I remembered it. So I had to find it where YOS was. I drove up, I came, you know, they buzz you through the door. They have no idea who you are. And I said, hi, my name is, you know, Judge. You know, I was pulling the judge card. You know, my name is Judge Victor Reyes. And can I speak to this gentleman? Because he was mentioned in the newspaper. So when you say Judge Reyes is here to talk to you, it's like, you know, that makes, that gets results, you know? Um, And so he came down, we talked. And as I was telling him this idea about mindfulness practices and meditation and yoga and he was shaking his head like this and I'm going like, okay, why is he shaking his head? And then he stopped and he said, you know, we've been looking to bring this in here for six months and you've just laid out everything we want to do. Will you meet with the warden? This guy, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, so then I met with the warden. Um, she, on our meeting, just things connected with what we were saying and her biggest thing with the young men. And I think it's with people in general is a sense of lack of purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're back to that thing about being isolated it is, is because you, you, you move that in what you were talking about with, you know, har- harming others. You're basically also harming yourself. Hmm. So we're, we're talking about, you know, ahimsa, ahimsa, yeah. um, you know, do no harm to others. Well, when people lack self-esteem, when people don't feel purpose, there are other ways that that uh, actions get manifested, especially if it's being encouraged by other folks who are, are in that same um, type of mental state. 
So, so basically I, I didn't started my first class, like in January of 2017. So I had six guys, like they all showed up and everybody was slouching, like, okay, what's this about? First of all, I think they thought a woman was going to show up because there was yoga and here's this guy, like middle-aged guy showing up, you know? And so I, there's one, one in particular, this young man who actually, you know, he's, he, you know, they're all yogis, but he took off with it. And he was like at every class for until he was released. In fact, we were able to shift it to a different building right before he got released. So I went from seeing this young man slouching with like definitely a real punkish kind of attitude to when I left, I saw a young man who said, I don't want to be here. I can't stand being here with these folks. And so, but he was, I mean, he really took in the practices and he incorporated things into his life. And he has a lot of, I mean, we could talk for a long time about what he had to say. I mean, but you know, with his experience. Um, so um, I even forgot what your question was. <laughs> but uh, but I so so though what happened from there was so I'm at YOS and the and the every facility has volunteer coordinators in Colorado. Mm-hmm. The volunteer coordinator for YOS is the same person um, who does La Vista Correctional Facilities, which is a women's correctional facility literally up the street. Now, once again, it's a statewide facility. It's not a um, uh, local jail that handles just, you know, people who are waiting for trial and sentenced for misdemeanors. And the other reason I went to YOS is because I didn't think I could go to the other facilities because I had people incarcerated in, in those other, in the men's facilities and the women's facilities. That's why I chose YOS too, is because I knew I didn't have anybody there because it'd been years since I placed anybody in that facility. So then, you know, so one day I get this question, you know, you're into doing it and, 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 you know, the late, the, the Lieutenant comes over and she says, would you be interested in doing a yoga class for the women? Said, Absolutely. So they gave me an hour and a half twice a week. So, you know, most times we get an hour, but, but we got the gym for an hour and a half. And, um, and then that shifted to, well, we know you have experience with domestic violence because I've been doing domestic violence training since 2002 with the National Council and all over the, the country. And then I, the, one of the last things I did was with like 170 Ukrainian judges on Zoom. So she, she goes, you know, you've got this experience. Would you form a group? So it's like, sure. So we formed a group. And then... Um, and then over the course of time, that group had grew until the pandemic um, to where, you know, I mean, and so I had a yoga class going, then I had the DV survivors group going. Um, and then a friend of mine does an art projects with the feds up at Florence at the federal correctional facility in Florence. So they're looking for a meditation yoga person. So he gives them my name. So I get a, like a, you know, email out of the blue. And would you meet with us with this? I come down, meet with them. Then we got a yoga class going at the camp at the facility. So it's a minimum correction facility. There's not even a fence around it. Um, And so we started that up. And then the person there said, would you be interested in doing meditations at, at, uh, well, I'm going to call it Supermax. 
Um, and it's like, sure. You know? Um, and so it's, it was a progression. I mean, and, and you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, you mentioned this earlier before we started, but it's the facilities are not like, you know, anyway, I went to YOS, but after that people come looking. So I think a credit has to be done, you know, for folks are in positions of bringing programs in who are starting to recognize the benefits of this. Because the other thing is the feds did is they bought a bunch of yoga mats and they bought blocks. Um, I got um, yoga mats donated for YOS. And so that was like, you know, really, really great that that uh, Gaim um, was kind enough to donate yoga mats. And then we were able to get blocks. And then all of a sudden I said, I need blocks for, you know, there's yoga mats with the women, but we need blocks. So they ordered blocks. Um, you know, and so as you know, they were more than happy to spend the money to provide the tools for the people who were there. Yeah. Um, so and then that's how it kind of ended up at, you know, that's the progression over the course of three, three years or so to go from YOS to, you know, doing classes kind of in four different facilities. Right, right. And just to be clear, you know, uh, the Supermax is not a place where very many people get to go in to offer programming. No, no. I mean, I I'm was, yeah, I, I really don't know um, the amount of volunteers that go in there. I think I was the only, I know I was the only one going in the wing that I was at um, yeah. because we had a situation happen and, which I had to, to report. Um, and so they kind of came in and said, you can't ask that this of volunteers. It's like, well, I guess who the only volunteer is that goes in there, you know? So, uh, so um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's um, no, I, no, but I, it's interesting um, because there's so much that I want to share about the people, mm -hmm. you know, that I've learned. Mm -hmm. And um but it's interesting when you get a group of folks together, the depth, the intellect that, that people have, regardless of where they're living at that moment, if they are in a position to be supported, to be self-aware. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, because I was reading an interesting thing about, you know, accountability that somebody re wrote who's doing a long sentence in, in Washington saying, you know, all this stuff that people are talking about these cops and, you know, getting, you know, getting convicted. It's not accountability. It's punishment. Accountability comes from yourself, your willingness to look into your heart, into your actions. And that's what I've been blessed to see people do. You know, I, I go and facilitate these groups and like our yoga class, you know, we spend some time, um, you know, we do the centering practice, then we run through our asanas and then we do, you know, cause we have an hour and a half, we have the gym. Mm -hmm. And um, the way I start my yoga classes is that I start with the two things. Number one, don't judge yourself. You know, I mean, you know, I just say, you know, we're not here to harm ourselves. I, you know, I, I think maybe once I used the word ahisma, I, I, 
<laughs> Ahisma, but I just, um, but I just, you know, that was one of our first, not rules, because they have enough rules. Yeah. It was one of our first kind of agreements, because we, we talked about agreements. You know, that's the other thing I did is once I started learning, I was going in and doing, you know, whenever I have something comes up, it's like, I'm going to contact everybody I know for information. You know, I went, I went to, you know, to your training down in Albuquerque. That's where I had the pleasure of meeting you. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to these other groups when I was going to do the DV survivors group, which has morphed into more than just DV survivors. We had per- people who perpetrated. We had people who never, you know, and, and it became a chance just for people to talk. But that created a community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, at one time, there was even a conversation about how we all div- live in different buildings, but when we see each other in the yard now, yeah, we're, we're like, there were 700 people there. I would have never talked to you, mm-hmm. but now I'll say hi at lunch. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I had in the women's facility, I had probably 15 to 18 people who came all the time. And then people would come out of curiosity and, and, you know, I really stayed away from the whole Sanskrit stuff. I don't even say namaste at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I, I really make it as secular as possible because, you know, people, I, I lost one of the kids at YOS because he was getting out and his girlfriend was re- researching yoga and he's very Christian. And he asked me about Kundalini because a serpent, you know, you don't want no serpent coming up inside of you. And so his girlfriend was going to break up with him if he kept on doing yoga. And he goes, I can't come anymore. Um, and, but that was his, you know, that was what he decided to do. Um, but, but it's interesting because as I see, you know, I, I, another group that I do and it's time I spend is an elementary school. I've been doing that several years and it's kind of an underfunded community. So I have a boys group I do, and I even got a, I, I fulfilled my dream of becoming a teacher at the age of 60 by getting a substitute teacher license. So, you know, <laughs> there's always hope for people out there. Um, so I get to go sub in this school. And I've known these kids since they've been like preschool, some of them. But, and then, but what I see is through my conversations with the children, some of the same thought patterns. Mm-hmm in a fifth grader that I was, was articulated by a 35 year old man at supermax about anger, about Mm. the emotion of anger, how anger was instilled in his DNA. Mm. When a fifth grader said that two weeks ago, and we talked about that with him and I had to tell the fifth grader, no, that's not impossible. That's, that's not possible. You don't have anger in your bones, in your tissues, you know? and, And so and, you know, anger is an emotion that comes and goes. If you were angry right now, you'd be throwing this game we're playing at me. You wouldn't be having fun playing it if you're made out of anger. So sometimes I think folks, um, that we, we don't understand those things. And once you start having a conversation about it, it's not for me to tell you this. Um, it, it's for you to realize. it. You know, I, I see myself and all these, anything I do. Kind of as like when you go to the bowling alley when you've got little kids and, mm-hmm. and you put up the little bumpers so that the ball just doesn't drain every time because they'll just throw it and turn around and, you know, watch it roll. And, the, and it's the bumpers and, 
makes its way slowly down. I feel like I'm the, I'm the bumpers. Uh-huh. I'm there just to let folks bounce off. And the best conversations I've ever had is when I'm just the fly on the wall. Yeah. And allowing, and, and I noticed that, you know, one thing I was told by both the women in the facility and the young men at YOS is that we don't get the chance to have these kind of conversations. We're told what to think. We're told, you know, you know, and, and like, I'm not a therapist, okay? I'm not even pretend to be a therapist. But we're told, you know, you know, what to think. We're told what to do in therapy classes was what I was told. We don't get the chance to figure things out for ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes I would go in to do yoga, um, a yoga class at, with the guys at YOS. Um, and we would spend an hour and a half talking, sometimes two hours. Yep. And that was yoga. We were doing yoga. They had questions, you know, and then, and then I realized, and one of the kids told me, because you realize that some of these, some of these guys, the guards, they act like father figures to us. And I know, I know that Dean Williams, the, the, I was reading that the head of the system in Colorado is actually bringing in older now inmates into YOS. I think it's a new program to act as guides for younger people. So, I mean, some of the guards try to do that. They try to become father. Now, you can't become close. Right, right. Yeah, you, you know, you have that, you have to have that distance. But one of the kids says, well, we don't have anybody to ask these questions about. Yeah. To, you yeah. know, and so, and I'm sorry that I'm just kind of talking. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm, no, I, I love to get questions too. I don't want to we'll, spend the whole time. We're going to have time for Q&A. Um, we've got some time before that though. I mean, Victor, you're, you're, experience is so rich um and every word valuable um i i keep thinking and in this uh you mentioned earlier you were you were just saying that we don't get the chance to ask these questions and you were talking about this um this young man earlier who was with you in the yos program for a long time and the change that you saw in him and something else that came up about you know the system as it is it's a punitive system and uh you know, James has often said, and this is something I hope I get it right, you know, one of the problems is, uh, you know, it doesn't ask you to take accountability. When you're in, um, on, on, you know, on trial, um, accepting responsibility for what you may have done is going to be the last thing that your lawyer might advise. Well, for some people. I mean, there's times yeah, that I know, you know, it's probably I mean, much more complex than that. But yeah. do, you, do you? How do you feel this fits in? Um, do you see a shift um, in the way? Because in my mind, that opportunity to take accountability is is what allows us to change. Yeah, and then I think there's. I mean, I know there's restorative justice system, uh, restorative justice programs out there mm -hmm. where that that you know where those conversations are had. Yeah. Um, 
But I think that I think that there's a I mean, it's so I mean, as beings, we're so complex and we have so much stuff going on. Yeah. And and so I try to imagine situations where I'm trying to. You know, I don't even know how to deal with what you're talking about because I'm dealing with so much trauma in my life. I'm trying to survive on a daily basis. Right. You know, I, I think it was interesting. The young man, when he, he had a lot of a lot of insights that he would share with me. Yeah. Um, one of the insights was I was going to quit that he was going to quit. Because doing the practices slowed down time and I just want to get my sentence done. I want to stay busy. I want to, I want to take as many classes as I can. I want to work out as much as I can at the end of the evening. I just want to collapse. And then I want to get up the next day and I want to just, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. So I'm going to make the time go fast. And he said, it slowed down time for him. And he didn't like the feeling. And then there was the realization that it created more awareness for him. Right. Like all about everything. Right. You know, like I think I mean, I, I love James's talk um, a couple of weeks ago about karma yoga. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, I encourage people to see that because um, when, when, you know, he was having those discussions about awareness, you know, when you go into facilities to do these practice, man, you you better be present. You know, you have to be totally present there, you you can't be, you know, your mind can't be floating off to something else or, you know, because many things happen. You may have a couple of people who decide to hold hands. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and, you know, the outside, well, I, I don't even say outside world, but in this place, you're not allowed to do that. And that could even stop your program if you don't deal with that and you let those things go because everything that's happening is being watched by cameras. Right. You know, um, or electricians walk in and you've got your classes laying on their backs and a bunch of men come in, you know, to look at the electrical stuff. Right. right. Well, now you got to get people off their backs. I don't want people to be vulnerable. You know, and I maybe I'm just projecting my thoughts on on folks, but I'm thinking, well, we got a bunch of men just coming in five men. I don't think these women people should be laying down. Let's get back up in a seated position. Let's, you know, let's do some twists and turns now, you know, or, or, you know, so, so, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff's happening all around you. You, you may show up and your class has been canceled and you weren't told or a fight breaks out in the yard. And now you gotta, you're going to have to stay put for another hour and a half. So if you had, you know, and you don't have your phone with you. So if you had something going on afterwards, you know, I kind of made it a point of not having something going on afterwards. Yeah. Because yeah. I never knew it was going to happen. So when we're talking about this idea of accountability, I think that to be accountable, I think it has to be a connection with you. And some folks, when they showed up to classes, that was that was the second agreement we had in our class. Our first was no judging of yourself or anybody. Mm-hmm. To come in here and like see somebody doing something and then you get upset at yourself defeats the purpose of being here. The second one is I mentioned it during the meditation was this is your body. Nobody has a right to tell you what to do with your body, which is interesting being in a facility when you're told when to eat, when to sh- you know shower, when to go, all this, you know, when to move, you yeah. know, between. But but and, and I think um, I was shared once that coming from a man, 
telling people who were abused, you have no right. Nobody has a right to tell you what to do with your body. It had a meaning for some people because there are, you know, I mean, I know that men call the women in prison and they badmouth them. They keep them down because they want to make sure that they have absolutely no self-esteem when they're in those kind of relationships when they get out so that they'll go right back to the situations that they were in. Um, so I, I, you know, um, so how am I going to focus on myself when I have so much going on? I'm in a situation that by its nature is tra- traumatic. James said that two weeks ago, yep. it, you know, the, this being in this facility is traumatic. So I even would tell people that if you're here just to get out of your housing for an hour and a half and you want to just kick back and lay down, kick back and lay down. You don't have to do these things because, you know, the first thing we did was turn off the lights in the gym, which was great because we had enough sunlight coming in um, and they love that. People love that. Um, and then I play a drum at the end and and that's a drum that I play at the school, too, and, and in other places that just was very calming during Shavasana. So even during our practice and sometimes I do a little guided meditation you have to really watch every word you say, you know, you, you do a loving kindness meditation and tell people, okay, now imagine in front of you, a person that you love. It's like, ah, the tears start coming, you know? And, and one of the, the other thing is during my yoga classes and during any, any where I go, I am lucky enough to be in a position where everything, there's a thread that runs through everything. So what I, um, what I do is what I learn in the schools or something happens in the school with my group or kids, I share it with the people in the prisons. Mm. So, you know, um, and then what the, what the people say in the facilities, I share with the judges when I do teachings. So I am lucky to kind of, you know, I, I think we're all kind of like, I'm thinking of a, you know, before digital watch clocks, and and Apple watches, there was these things called clocks with little gears in them. But I think we're all little gears. And I think we all have our little things that we can do, you know, as long as our motivation is positive. Right. You know, I'm not doing this because of my ego. You know, I'm doing this because I really want to benefit others. I want to put people before me. Um, and I think that's the greatest motivation to have is is you want to alleviate others suffering or distress um but i'm not doing it because i'm gonna like advertise this i mean you know i'm you know i I, i'm doing it because i truly want to help people i mean there's so much here i'm trying to cover in our time so i'm 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 hoping i'm not rambling too much i deeply appreciate the participants hanging in there because the numbers are still consistent. So, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I, I can't wait till we get to the to the Q and A section. There, I love this metaphor, you know, of this this clock and how it all seems uh, interrelated. And there's something that you may hear with the the youth that goes into the facility, something you hear in the adult facility that you're carrying into the work that you're doing with judges. Well, like for example, for example, yeah, I had please. A- with my boys group, I had these two little guys who got dropped off by their mom in the morning. 
mm-hmm. during the course of the day, she overdosed. That same day, mm-hmm. her grandma's picking him up. And, and I saw one little boy just completely shut down. Just yeah. completely shut down. And the other one was a little bit more uh, vocal about things, but never talked about it um, because we weren't, you know, that's just not my job. It's not my responsibility to do that. My responsibility is just there to support people. And that's what I try to think about when I ever do this. My job, my only responsibility is to support other people's growth, not to do the work. If you think you're going into these facilities and you're going to do the work for for folks, you're going to be very disappointed. And, and I don't think you should be going in the facilities if that's what you think. Yeah. You're there to support other human beings growth. And so that overdose, that situation I shared with the women at the prison, because many, there's many moms there. And one of the conversations that we had was the amount of women who, when they got out would die yeah. from overdoses. Cause Many people are going back in, taking the same amount they were taking before, and they hadn't done drugs in, in, in a while. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, and so that conversation, that incident I shared with the women. And I did that to talk about, although we are dealing with our own trauma, mm-hmm. how we decide to deal with it, if we deal with it in ways that are unhealthy, may have consequences. Mm-hmm for like other people who depend on us, who love us. And it's not like judging folks about it. It's just something to think about. Yeah. Like, is there another way that I can deal with this pain? And that's another part is, is having systems that um, are providing services to folks to actually deal with the problem. Right. That they have. I mean, this is like, it's so complicated now. So, yeah. Yeah. So many interlocking parts. And this is one of the things that I've noticed. Um, um, you know, there is. Um, it, it seems to me that there's. Um, I'm thinking of a situation where a particular sheriff's department didn't want a male or didn't want a, a, a woman teaching in their jail facility. And I asked them, you know, because 90% of yoga teachers are women and we have lots of women working in men's facilities. And I asked them what was special about this population. And they told me it was a group of men that were, uh, they would be released within the next six months. And I thought to myself, well, this is really problematic if you don't feel like you're willing to let these guys out, but you're you don't feel like they can be trusted in a jail with a woman there. And in my mind, it's probably a more safe place for the situations that I've seen. You're never alone. You're observed. There's always somebody there to come to your aid. It's like this is a very safe place to work from my perspective. Um, and there's not a lot of overlap between those two things. Like where is the accountability that the sheriff's department in incarcerating these people have done something to help make the community safer. 
Well, no, that's, I mean, I think that's, it's just, you know, uh, you know, people, I, I know one of the questions I was thinking about when I was getting ready, was like, well, is there systemic racism? Is there systemic this? Is the systems are made up of people. Yes. And, and it, you know, these are people who are projecting their own belief systems and their sometimes dogma on everything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people would say, well, you did the same thing when you were a judge, you know, you, you know, you projected this and you projected because your clients did this and that, or they reacted a certain way. Um, but I think that, you know, when, when you look at systems, you know, they, systems, they're, they're people. Yeah. They're people who have these biases, these prejudices, these, that some may be like, like, you know, just something so ingrained it may be reptilian brain stuff, you know? So I think we all have so much to work with. Um, you know, I, I didn't think twice about going in as a male into the facility. Cause frankly, I was like old enough. I mean, to be some of these folks, dad, um, mm-hmm. uh, or at one point a grandpa, you know, for, you know, uh, um, but it was interesting because one time I have one comment, Somebody was making as I was leaving in the yard and somebody said, hey, hey, yoga man, which was like, cool, because it wasn't Judge Reyes as a yoga man. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, yoga man, where are your yoga pants? So I said, well, ma'am, at my age, they're called compression socks, which got a good laugh out of everybody there. But it's like, yeah, you know, and, and then I think, you know, um, it, it, you know, I did this whole sexualization of practices. Mm. Um, you know, how much of that is really the people at the facility who are supposed to be putting these on projecting their own belief systems? You know, I had young men show up once one man, well, you know, showed up, he'd never seen him before. He's like, Oh, I thought you were going to be a woman. It's like, you know, and, and which then, you know, raises other things because the practices that I did at YOS, because I had young guys. They wanted a little bit, you know, they want a little bit of a workout at times, you know, and but then I try to minimize that by balancing it with more meditation, more breathing. All the asanas are tied with breath, maybe even reversing the breaths or exhales a little bit different, you know, anything trying to access the parasympathetic nerve system. So, you know, my classes at YOS looked a little different than my classes at the women's facility yeah. because of everything I was dealing with, you know, physical injuries that maybe were more severe and, you know, um, trauma, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the young men have trauma too. Um, but, you know, there was, and, and plus I had a bigger group, you know, we had sometimes up to 25, 26 people doing the class. Um, so, um, so that, you know, that was in consideration of who's here, you know, what are our abilities and making sure that that the postures were accessible to everybody. Yeah. And, and never, never complimenting one person. I learned that uh, from reading this. David Trevelyan did a book on um, mindfulness and trauma. Great book. I think I encourage people to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things he does talk about there, and, and I, I didn't do it anyways, was singling out people for recognition. And so, well, you know, he's saying Sally's doing a good job. I must not be doing a good job. Right. So if I did say something, I would be in a position of seeing everybody and just telling everybody how absolutely 
beautiful their postures were. Right. I mean, it's inclusive. Yeah. Never like, you know, you know, and then, you know, and if I was, you know, so, uh, and once again, I, I think I might've gotten away a little bit from what you were saying, but I'm hoping there's there, it looped back somehow. Yeah. 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 No, it all loops. It all loops back around. Um, I, you know, I, I, this, I hear so much of what we try to uh, convey, you know, in the trainings that we do about, you know, holding a non-judgmental space and really, you know, uh, trying to create an opportunity for people to connect to their own lessons and their own truth. And, and uh, you know, that it's we're not necessarily there as the teacher, which is why we use the term facilitator. And and um you know making it as an incl- as inclusive as possible and that means accessible practices and you know maybe not using sanskrit and um you know just really finding a way to hold space for the greatest number of people so that that uh I, uh, what i feel like happens there's some sort of magic that happens in that space without us necessarily needing to do anything if we can be the bumpers, if we can hold the space, it happens. It, yeah, I think it, it, the practices, I mean, they've been around for 3000 years. There's a reason for that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just like, wow, you know, people in the West just stumbled on it. You know, it was just, yeah. I mean, it's been there. Um, we have just taken it and morphed it. Like my yoga teacher in India, she spent a lot of time on the Bhagavad Gita. She spent a lot of time on the teachings because she said, you can go anywhere and find, you know, contort your body, but it's incorporating the practices, incorporating the breath that you learn, incorporating these things that we're learning, we're learning into our daily lives. But in the facilities, in the meantime, trying to keep myself safe. I think I shared with you a story about somebody, you know, one of my, one of the the young men trying to be kind to a bunkmate, you know, because the bunkmate thought that something had been stolen soup. I know James talked about soup, the importance of soup. Um, he, you know, this guy, this kid had thought that this other young man had taken his soup. And then, um, and he, so the young man was telling us a story about how he offered to buy a soup for the person, although he didn't take it. Uh-huh. And he goes, now I know you've taken it because nobody in here does that kind of stuff. And so he was going to get like beat up that night yeah. until the kid found his receipt from commissary and he hadn't listed soup. Okay. But he was going to get basically blanketed that night for stealing soup because somebody, you know, you have to establish, you can't steal my stuff. Right. Right. So here you have a kid who's trying to be yogic and, and practice, you know, uh, giving and it could end up in him getting beat up because, you know, I remember telling the, the ladies once in the facility that if everybody here would just be kind to each other for one day, it would freak out the the institution thinking everybody was planning a mass escape because it was something that that they would never uh, expect to happen yeah um so so i'm just you know you know covering a lot and it's important also i i, I know that we got q a yeah yeah um, I, yeah i think it's also important 
to build relationships, not only with the people who are coming in to do the classes, but to build relationships with the facility because it leads to amazing things. I mean, I was able to bring in uh, a friend of mine who had um, done some time in Texas and mm-hmm. she came in and she's doing practices. She came in to share about how the practices changed her life and how she was still doing them a decade later. Right. We were able to bring in a, a gentleman by the name of Matt Venuti, probably one of the best hung players in the world. And, you know, the, the drum that, you know, oh, it's called a hung. It's not really a drum. But he came in. He's done two concerts. And, and then one of the ladies had her son Google him. And came to me afterwards, like a couple of days later saying, this guy's like a big deal. It's like, yeah. And he came to see us. Yeah. People are very appreciative, but that came because I had a relationship with the people, not only my volunteer coordinator, but the, the, the um, ladies who run the gym, the, the, the people who are there, the guards or, you know, the people who are working as guards running the gym. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and then the ladies who came to yoga and the other classes got priority for the concerts. So, you know, that they were like, wow, this is really cool. We get to be picked first to see this concert, you know? Um, so these, I'm just sharing this because the minute you build up some kind of negativity with the folks who are running the facility, number one, you may not just have a program. They're just, Hey, we're done. And that program like that may never come again in there because they'll always remember what you did, even if you made a bad decision. Right. The second thing is starts opening other doors. Like, let's do, you know, so, okay. So I'm, I'm well, and I think it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a topic that, I mean, we're probably, we need to have a panel. Um, I did, did you see Sue Radcliffe and uh, director Hughes from the Maryland County jails? They, they've done a really, well, I'll send you a link to the webinar afterwards and everybody it's on the webinar replays page uh, as of today. Um, you know, this, this uh, uh, having staff on board and I always, you know, it, it's such an important aspect of it. And really one of the things that we're doing in doing that is modeling uh, a, a, a way of being where, you know, a, you know, who's going to de- de-escalate the situation in there and who's going to start to break down that us versus them mentality. And this is one of the things um, that I think that we've got an opportunity to, to, to really be able to do in building that relationship. And right. that more than anything, I've, I've seen transformation from, you know, uh, officers as much as I've seen, no, not as much, because I don't think I think they're under a lot more social pressure. Not yeah, but it, it's, it's funny because, um, uh, you know, I, I started bringing the drum to play it during Shavasana, right? Mm-hmm. When there's one person on duty, this one lady on duty, she makes her way out of the office, gets a seat, yeah. makes herself comfortable while I play the drum. Yeah. You know, um, or even at ADX getting pulled aside going, Hey, do you know of any yoga classes up in this city? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like, um, and then, and then you, you know, you don't make a big deal of, but you notice the guards start, you know, people starting to listen because I don't care who you are, you're in pain. And, yeah. and, and believe me, the people in the facilities, especially maybe not so much like somewhere in ADX where 
people are very, very careful about their personal business, but sometimes in the state facilities, when people may be talking a little bit more or on the phone and, you know, the, the, um, people who are living there know the, the guard, the, the people who are guards who are in pain. And I'm trying as much as not to label people. You know, I mean, one of my first classes was uh, one of the ladies saying, well, how does it feel like to be sitting with 30 felons? Cause that was my first DV survivors class. Right. And in the ladies in yoga already know what I did. You know, I, I, I tell them straight up because somebody's going to hear from somebody that that's judge Reyes. Right. So it's like, well, why'd you hide it? Why are you lying to us? Right. You know, you've got to go into these places being authentic because, and, and, and one of the questions is how do you keep up your own practice? You just, you just do, you know, I'm retired. Okay. So I have a, I have a whole different thing where, you know, I get to do a lot of stuff, but I do the practices with the people I'm doing my practice um, with, with wherever I'm doing, you know, I, I guess that's the thing is my question is the practice is just wherever you are at that moment, you're doing practice. If it's having conversations with people, if it's being kind to somebody at a store as you're getting gas, wishing them a good day, you're doing practice. Depends on how you define practice. You know, yeah. I, mean, I make time for my asanas. I still go to the yoga studio because we have these amazing teachers there that, you know, I, you know, this one, you know, um, Heidi, she's very, very physical in her practice. Well, I would do her class with the guys because that was what they, you know, it, it helped them. You know, one time we got stuck doing it outside because something was going on in the cafeteria we were using. Well, I'm not going to have, you know, we're not, you know, we did a strong core practice. Right, right. And a lot of it was from what I was watching the guys who were pumping iron during. So we're not doing anything different than those guys were doing, especially as they were watching us. So it's like, oh, that's what they do, you know, there. So, okay. And I think, so I think one of the questions was yeah. in the Q&A about, yeah. about how do you sustain your practice in the way I am, I try daily, uh, like, like I don't slip up all the time to think about every moment of your life. This is my Jimmy Neal, my teacher um, in India. Um, this is, you know, every moment of the day you're doing practice, uh -huh. you know, Rinpoche, you know, the, my, another teacher of mine, an older monk. Every day you're doing practice, be loving, be altruistic, be compassionate and be humble. That's the practice. So every moment, every moment. Yeah. This is, a, I think, one of the gifts that doing this work um, uh, has really given me is an appreciation of of um, how uh, much of an opportunity there is to practice every moment in every day. Um, yeah, excellent. Let's open it up officially for uh, Q&A now, and uh, maybe um, Blair can join us. Thank you. You're great. I'm terrible at being able to see two things at once. Uh, so you've got an eye on the uh, on the Q&A uh, as well. And I know that we've been uh, uh, live on Facebook as well. And oftentimes people will have questions or comments that they uh, that they ask on Facebook. Thank you so much, Victor, for being here. Hi, community. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Blair. I'm our community manager. Um, just to 
reflect again on everything that you've shared, Victor, you know, I'm on the other end here, just move to tears almost every time you start a new story. Right. And um, just wanting to offer that it's really amazing to see a human and also uh, a man who is in right relationship with his power Mm -hmm. that you use your power and influence for good really for the benefit of all beings, it's really an incredible opportunity to see. And so not only that you are in the right relationship with your own power, but it's that you say yes. Like you say yes to every opportunity that comes. Like when people are coming to you, you just continue saying yes. And so there's like such courage and bravery to say yes. And um, just this openness that you have. So thank you. Well, I, yeah, well, Thank you. I appreciate what you're saying, because I think when you say no, it's not an issue of, well, you know, if you're going to if you can't, then you make sure, I think, to say, I can't. But look here, call Mm -hmm. these folks. This person will do it, you know, or or call this person up. So I think it's also being in that position, also a position of knowing when you can't do something, when you don't have the 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 abilities, the education or whatever it may be when you're asking to go too far, like the DV survivors group, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got years of experience teaching DV to facilitating classes with judges. So I've learned so much through the experts, through the council. So this isn't just my, you know, but, but I think it's, but I also know where to stop where like, I never offer therapy advice or, you know, because that's just, you don't do so I think, Blair, I deeply appreciate what you're saying because it's a great opportunity to reflect on when I can't do something. So mm. to be honest about it, because, you know, our egos kind of creep up there, don't they? Like, oh, man, I mean, you know, they're asking me to do this and that. And so I think it's fine. It's knowing what you can do and living what you do. You know, I think that's that's very important because people will know when you're fake. Mm. So. And that ties in with this authenticity that you were saying, right? Like you have to go in being authentic, right? And that that includes your yeses and your noes. Yes. Yeah. We have a um, so hi everyone. So you can um, and you can ask your questions in the Q and A box. So if you look on your Zoom screen, down at the bottom on the right hand side, there's a Q and A box, and you're welcome to put your questions in there. And then I see a question in the chat right now from Andy, and Andy says, if someone wanted to begin with this type of practice, what would you suggest? Um, I don't have a lot of spare time. And maybe Andy, you can respond. Is this like a, are you wondering like a meditation practice or just like a a yoga practice as well? And um, if someone were to begin, and so maybe it's like what we would offer for students. Yeah. Okay. Meditation. So if you were going to be in a meditation practice, where would you start? Well, I would start with um, finding a teacher or you got to find a teacher. You know, you can get, you can collect all these books you want to do and you read all you want to do. But unless you have a teacher to actually guide you and kind of be your bumpers, your your alley, your, your alley bumpers, um, then you're kind of just floating because I, I'm going back to this ego thing. You can sit there and you go like, wow, I'm like, I'm a great meditator. You know, I'm doing this. I'm, I've read all these books. I've, Jack, oh, I've read Jack Kornfield. I've, I've read Alan Wallace's books. And I got this down. And then you go in because because I think we have to really watch what we say to folks, because what we are saying at times may actually trigger things. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, so then you learn your practices from people who, who in there, and then you, you make sure your teacher knows what they're doing, you know, and that they're not just like the most popular guru now. And, you know, and that the practices that you're doing are suiting the community you want to go do these practices with and that you incorporate the practices into your own life. You don't just meditate like on Tuesday morning uh, from 10, 15 to 11, because that's when I'm doing my yoga class, you know? And so I hope that answers the question is you get yourself a teacher, you find a teacher. Um, and then, you know, once, and then you may, and once you feel that the person resonates with you and you with them, then you become a student. I mean, I'm, I think we're all students until the day we die, we're students, you know, and in some ways we're teachers. We just sometimes don't know it. So that's why it's very careful with what you say, you know, even during these classes, how, you know, you say something or the expressions on your face. And maybe I had to learn that as a, I had to learn that as a judge. Cause when you're sitting up there, you know, I mean, as I, as a defense lawyer, I was waiting for the judge to make a grimace about something. Cause I want to might make a record about, you know, I want the record to reflect the judge's grimacing at my argument. I want the record to reflect that the judge is rolling their eyes. I'm going refer- uh, the, the judges threw up during the witness's testimony. You know, I mean, you're waiting for that kind of stuff to happen. So so you had to say, you know, um, you know, not that I wasn't emotional at times when we didn't have juries, but that was part of being a human, learning about anger and learning those things that trigger you. So I hope that answers your question. You know, thank you for offering the, the guidance of finding the right teacher for you as well. Um, I know that, you know, traditionally in uh, Buddhist stories that float around that you would watch your teacher in secret for three years and you'd kind of spy on them to see what they were doing when no one else was watching. That's right. And so so thank you for also emphasizing that. Yep. That. Yeah. Yeah. But how were they? Yeah. When the when the proverbial whatever hits the fan, how are they reacting? Yeah. You know, do they lose it? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, so absolutely. Um, and uh, we can continue to take more questions. Um, and or Bill and I can can yeah, yeah. and, and so ask more Stacey, too. Stacy has a question. Um, uh, you shared not using Sanskrit and trying to tap into the uh, PNS, the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, but is there anything that you've ever? practiced with a group that you've learned not to, uh, that is not helpful or even harmful. And I know I've had my moments when I've uh, done things in groups and thought, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that again. Yeah, I, I think that when you start, like, you, you think that you're, the groups have been with you maybe for a long, little while. And I think one thing is sometimes you get comfortable with people and you think that then all of a sudden you think, well, you know, I think they can do this because they've been a while and we've done all the things, the muscles are loose and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's one of the things when maybe I kind of pushed it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Another thing to think about is how much you share. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, you know, um, 
you know, as a lawyer, there is a certain relationship with clients. As a judge, there's a certain distance between the person, people that you're dealing with and you. Here, all of a sudden, you're like in a facility. And, and you know, you're told in the trainings that you do, watch what you share. Because you, you know, you don't know what angle people are working. So um, I think it would be harmful for folks and you to feel that you have this really, really tight bond that everybody can just share whatever they want to share. Because if somebody shares something with you, like was done with me several times, I'm, to, I'm told, you know, you're told right up front, you got to report it. And sometimes the challenge that's being made is, is they, are they going to report this? You know, how far will this person go? Mm. And that does not benefit folks around you if they think that they can get away with stuff, some people, because everybody else is watching too. Yeah. And they're not going to benefit if, if that makes sense. So you have to, you know, um, and then you never know when you share something, something very positive can come yeah. out of it. I mean, I know that I, I'm sure this is true in California because it's a federal law, but if you see somebody kind of making the moves on somebody during the yoga class, you got to share that because there's this whole um, statute about sexual, sexual, sexual assaults. Right. And you're, yeah. In fact, you sign something saying you will report this if you're, you know, to be in the facilities. If I see a guard that's a little too friendly with people, that's something you may have to report And, and realizing that, you know, I mean that, and I know it's kind of off a little bit about, yeah. But um, and then you becoming, you know, uh, close like I, I've shared I share documents a lot with folks, um, but I always make a packet um, for the facility mm-hmm. because I don't want them to be going through somebody's papers one day and they find a bunch of these papers like where'd you get this stuff? from? Are you yeah. you know, is this contraband? So I always leave whatever I hand out before I leave with the ladies at the gym or the facility. At YOS, I leave a copy with the the uh, guards who are either in the gym or the people who are letting me out. Look, here's a copy of what they got today. Right. You know, right. yeah, because if you don't do that, that can result in somebody getting in trouble when they, you know, are trying to explain that you gave them this. And then you're not available for a couple of weeks. And now they have to do a disciplinary procedure within a certain amount of days. And so, you know, and those are just things you learn. I, I think it's, I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, it's, you know, we, a lot of people want to get into this work with really, really good intentions and they're coming at it from the perspective of how yoga has helped them. Um, but when we're going into the system, there is a lot of complexity, you know, in terms of um, uh, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that you have to consider, you know, that, uh, you know, as you say, you know, if you, it may seem innocent enough to hand out, to take in a handout and give, pass it out. But if it's not something that's been approved by the facility, you know, it could come back on not just you, but on them for having that. Um, And so, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the questions that I I would like to ask is because, um, you know, you mentioned that you're very upfront 
um, I think this question of, um, you know, what do you share um, always comes up. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting line. Um, I often talk about uh, uh, issues that I've had with anger management myself in my classes. And I feel like that's something that is <laughs> beneficial for, for me to bring in. And it, it's important for me to bring that in to be authentic in that case. And for you being able to show up and say, yeah. You well, know, my thing is Oreo cookies. Like when I was very, like very, very depressed, very sad. Uh-huh. My addiction was Oreo cookies, whatever, whatever they make that filling, whatever petroleum products, they put <laughs> that filling, you know, that, that were, you know, we're, you know, we could probably put on our gas tanks, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but the sugar, so like I may not have been addicted to heroin or may not, be, but I sure was sugar shouldn't make me feel good. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many of us that, you know, when we are not feeling well, we're going to reach into those cookies or, you know, put that extra lump of sugar in our tea because that makes it um, that makes us feel better. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think it's, you know, I saw just a comment here. I think somebody is making, um, about yoga therapist training. And like I said, I don't know exactly what that is. When we get off, I'll find out more about it. But I want to make sure that I have the the ability to actually um, put into practice and the knowledge and the skills and the education to put those kind of of, of things into practice Mm -hmm. without just thinking, okay, I'm going to read this book. And I'm going to, you know, I mean, I can read the Yoga Prison Project book, yeah. but when I went there with a bunch of folks in Albuquerque, it's a whole different scenario with people asking questions. You're watching the slide presentation that you did about the, the about incarceration and how over the years, you know, the systems shifted and, and it's looked at a way of keeping people put down. Um, so uh, I, I think that when we look at, you know, stories I share, I, I mean, they, they mentioned the Oreo cookie. They'll say, hey, they, tell the Oreo cookie story. And it's like, OK, I'll tell the Oreo cookie story, you know, because it's a it's an addiction. Yeah. It made me feel better. And I didn't realize it was make I was doing this because it made me feel better, it made me balloon up, too. But it made me feel better. So, you know, I don't need Oreo cookies nowadays. Um I get my Oreo cookies, you know, with the meditation. As long as you don't become attached to the meditation and yoga, as now my cure all. You know, I, I, I'm recalling uh, your uh, when you were talking about when you first started yoga, how it was like all of a sudden, you know, two two times a day. And I remember this with myself. I started with a hot vinyasa practice. It felt great. And, uh, and suddenly I was going to yoga eight times a week and I realized, oh, wait a minute this is just another way to make you feel good. And I don't, now I think my yoga practice has matured and I realize that it's not necessarily about feeling good. It's about learning to feel Mm. uh, uh, more fully, more presently. And yeah. And so uh, I think you mentioned this with the uh, uh, having a teacher in uh, meditation teaching so that your ego doesn't, what a good person I am, what a good meditator I am. Uh, and it and, and and I think becomes a spiritual trap. Yeah. One of the, yeah. One of the things that I did share with people is like early on, like, you know, after like maybe three weeks of doing the classes, I went into the women's facility and there was like a line out the door 
It's like, wow, look, there's a line out the door. You know, people are kind of into yoga, right? So I get in the line and I ask one of the people, and there's a couple, you know, maybe three or four of the women who do the classes regularly. They're in the line too. And so I, I asked the woman in front of me, it's like, what are you here for? And she goes, oh, the community corrections facilities are interviewing people today. And I started laughing because I thought this line was for the yoga class. And actually, the people at the desk forgot that the gym was being used. And then I shared this story the following week about how, wow, it's kind of interesting how the little ego pops up. And they were laughing because they were, you know, they were wondering, what are you doing here? And so, but I think it's also being able to empathize with people and have people um, know that although somebody may be sitting in a black robe or a, or have a cop's gun on them, they're still human beings yes. suffering and going through some distress in their life. Um, you know, your therapist may be doing the same thing. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I mean, folks are going through things and it, it was in a way to connect um, which is also part two of what I want to talk. I know we're going over. I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. But um, but part two is, and they tell you this during your trainings at the facilities, if you don't feel good, don't go in. And I'm not talking about physically. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a good headspace that day, you got your own stuff going on. Don't go in because it does not benefit folks if if you're not there to be there to support them in their practices. They got way too much going on to worry about your junk, you know, being, you know, being put on them through you're not being totally present. And all of a sudden it's like, why, you know, why is Victor not like, why is he not there? And people are watching you Mm -hmm. and they know. So there's been situations when just stuff in my life has come up and it's like, I make the phone call saying, I can't come in today. Yeah. I have to cancel class today. Yeah. You know, so I think that's being on, but that's part of being honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, I have a and, question, Judge. Does that work oh, if I ask? I don't, one, I, one I, I don't see Judge anywhere. Just, 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 um, <laughs> so t- tying this back into community as well. So I have a deeper philosophical question and maybe we'll have this on for you next time. Right. So it's like, okay, so when someone is incarcerated, oh, this, there's going to be a next time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Next time. Part, part one, two, three, and four. So, um, we, someone is incarcerated. The language is that they are under state care, right? That the state is responsible for their well-being. And as someone, as all of these people here, maybe if you live in the United States, like you are part of the state, right? So, what is my responsibility as a community member? What is my responsibility as, as being part of the state? Like, how can I, how can I hold accountability for myself as being part of this community? I guess I'm just asking for like advice, right? And maybe it changes locally, maybe it changes by state, but like, what advice would you give to someone who is part of the state um, to show up in right relationships? So like, what is it that I can do? Well, I, I would imagine I would first of all have to be honest as to what can I offer? What, what, I mean, we all have a certain gift, talent, something that I can offer to help out others, people who are in this situation through, through, you know, times actions of, of their own where they've been, they're being punished for those actions. 
you know, by the state. Yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're members of the state because it's state of Colorado versus so-and-so, you know, it's even the name of the case or people versus, so wow, all these people versus me, you know? Um, So I think that if you're thinking about like substantive changes, you don't like the length of sentences, well, talk to your legislatures, talk, go testify before legislatures if you have in a position of some expertise to offer things. Maybe even, you know, uh, as we're having this conversation, that there's certain practices you think people should get good time for or some time off for. Mm-hmm. Work that out with your local facilities or, or or make a legislative change that if you do certain classes, you get credit for those classes. Every class that I'm talking about that I do is volunteer. And I tell them up front, I won't write a letter for you. And I won't testify during a reconsideration if you're wanting your sentence reconsidered. Because I'm only here for like one hour or an hour and a half with you. And if you can't function within this hour and a half, then, you know, you have other issues that you need to deal with. Does that make sense? So, so I think the first thing is, is, you know, I mean, and if, if for some reason is that um, uh, if you feel that, okay, I, I can't go into the facilities, I can't do this, I can do that. If it's something as simple as sending prayers or even connecting with people through letters. I mean, those are some, I mean, there's a lot, there's this uh, liberation prison project that the, um, one of the organizations that I'm associated with runs, uh, you know, that's worldwide. They send Dharma letters to folks, you know, um, educate yourself by, you know, going to the trainings that, that PYP offers, um, going to, you know, train, you know, get involved with those kind of things. Um, watch a movie like the Dharma brothers. You know, I don't know if everybody's ever seen that, but it's a great movie about going into Alabama's, like, I think it's their death row or their life. People are doing life sentences Mm -hmm. and setting up a 10 day Goinka course and how that affected those guys' lives as far as a sense of calm and even a sense of community by doing that together. So, um, so I, I think That, like I said, even if you just send a prayer at night, include people, because one of the biggest things that um, that I hear is we love volunteers because we're seen. People have this impression that I've been yanked out of my community, transported, you know, literally with this bus with, you know, with cages on it down to southern Colorado, because we have many facilities in this in the southern part of the state. Um, And now I'm going to be made to live here, but nobody knows me. Nobody sees me anymore. Going in, writing, you know, being a volunteer, even, you know, even if you're your church, if they don't have a program, establishing a program through your church to go in. But I think finding, you know, finding a way into a system um, through those. And I mean, there's a myriad of other things I can't even think about at this moment, you know, that you can do. But if it, even if it's simple, as simple as maybe at night, if you're doing prayers, send a prayer to people. You're doing something. So I hope, Blair, does that answer your question a bit? Yes, it does. I'm sorry. There's something happening outside my window, like street cleaning. I'm sorry if you can hear that. Um, 
No, it doesn't. I really love this this idea of really seeing. Of it, the first is the the turn inward. What can I offer? Right. And so thank you for establishing that, too. Um, and I really just love this inclusion thing. So and, and that's kind of what I was saying. It's like I feel like as a community member, I feel responsibility to include all of us. Right. Like no one no one's left behind. So thank you. It doesn't. But I think I think it also goes to this idea of like, you know, you go to these facilities all this time and or, or you're sitting at home and you develop empathy for people. But then I think that, you, you know, I think some of the teachings are that you get stuck in empathy, you're going to get burned out. So then it comes into compassion. And the way I understand compassion is defined is not only feeling the empathy, but now I'm going to take an action. Yeah. And I've even talked, we've even had this conversation at, at the facilities. It's like, what if I, I, I do a Tong Len? You know, we did a Tong Len meditation. And one of the guys comes back and said, this guy was having a hard time, but I know I can't walk up to him and say he had a hard time. But from across the yard, I can take in his black smoke or his gray smoke into my heart and I can send. And so I, that's what I did. Yeah. And it made me feel better that I was doing something for them. And they did. I go, you can walk by somebody and do Tong Len. They don't know. This, this this taking in and and you know giving and receiving um, and bringing their pain their suffering into your heart getting rid of your own ego while you're also sharing your love and compassion from your heart and one of the kids was doing tonglen meditations in the yard and he goes nobody knew I'm walking around the yard doing tonglen and he's all happy to share it but he said it made me feel good it made me feel like I was doing something for yeah. that person. So it's interesting the, you know, that, that you bring that up, that um, empathy and compassion and compassion being that extra step of taking action. It kind of makes me think about how trauma, you know, in, in a way is this need to, you know, do something to protect ourselves that's thwarted and then it lives with us. And, and it's interesting to think that, um, you know, yeah, if we live in empathy, we can easily get burnt out just you feeling, will. feeling, you feeling, will. feeling without going that next step to take action to help relieve that other person's suffering in some way. Right. See, like we were even watching a movie called Healing Mean, if you haven't seen that, but it's about a, a young woman who, you know, somebody finally clicked in with trauma. Because if you think about it, you know, um, we in the judicial system depend a lot on therapists and we depend on a lot on sending people to programs. So like mm -hmm. when I was a public defender, nobody ever talked about trauma. I mean, this has been what something in the past what 20 years or so that we've started having these conversations and now everybody's trauma trauma this trauma this you know now it's become something that's a lot more researched and a lot more you know how we deal with this but when i started there was no trauma so if we're sending people with programs you know i mean if i'm if i want to if if i want to wash my car and i think driving it through the desert and, you know, and through a sandstorm is going to wash my car. It's not going to wash my car. It's just going to make my car a lot dirtier and peel off all the paint. So if we're sending people, if we've been sending for years people to programs, because this is what we're told the mental health community says what they need. Right. And those programs aren't actually dealing with it. But the research and the thought at that time said, this is what we need to do. 
how much harm did we cause to a generation of folks because we weren't really dealing with the program? You know, like, you know, if I'm going to go to drug treatment, right? I pay 25 bucks for my class. Well, rock stars pay $90,000 a month to sit on a, you know, in a villa overlooking Malibu to do their drug treatment program. So, you know, I mean, are these drug treatment programs, you know, and I think that was the responsibility of us as citizens, Blair, there you go. Yep. Making sure that, hey, if there's programs out there, making sure they work. Yeah. You know, what's the use of me sending somebody to battery treatment program when they're not doing anything? So, this, this is something in California. Um, the uh, General Accounting Office did an assessment of um, um, uh, uh, mental health programs offered by CDCR, and they found that it was um, largely ineffective. And um, we also, at the same time, have a group here in California, Transformative In-Person or In-Prison uh, Work Group. Um, we lobby the state legislature. Um, and uh, one of the things that we uh, you know, were successful is getting rehabilitative achievement credits for uh, people to participate in programs offered by community-based organization that earn them time off their sentence. So for every... 52 hours of time uh, that somebody spends coming to yoga, they're going to earn 10 days off their sentence. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to think, well, you know, it's, it's because we've demonstrated that it works. Um, and, and the more we are able to, uh, you know, do the type of research to, to validate that the programs that we're offering and, you know, are effective, you know, this is, this is what we need to do. I'm really, I know we're, we're like, we, I, mean, I just love these conversations. Um, but what you said, I think, is also very important if somebody's going to try to do something. Because one of the questions I got was, what are you expecting? Because, you know, mm -hmm. folks in these systems are result oriented. They mm -hmm. want to see, OK, if we bring in a what, is, you know, you're, you're, what's going to be the effect on this person? And yeah. I remember my response was, um, I don't expect anything. Um, maybe it's something we don't see. Maybe somewhere we connected with somebody or they can a person connected with their heart. And they walk into a liquor store with their buddy and all of a sudden their buddy's going to do something. And instead of hanging out because of the peer pressure, I turn around and I walk out. You'll never see that. You'll never, all you'll see is somebody walking away and then going down the street, not getting back in the car. You know, I mean, is it something I can put my hands on? No, but you know, you know, if people, I can't, if people, now on the in the yard don't ignore other folks because they've been in these classes together and they say hello and they're a little kinder you know there is no kindness measurement there's no you know i can't hook you up and then uh, like oh wow their, their kindness has gone up you know three percent um so i i i think it's in and and so when you say they want to see research mm. you know um i think that's very important that there are people out there who are um, uh, have the wherewithal. I know that um, the Compassion Institute out of Stanford is doing a lot of research on compassion, yeah. writing papers. I just read a paper on compassion that I share with the judges. 
Because one of the things about compassion is from this paper was we have more compassion to people who look like us. So we're not just talking about uh, 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 some kind of bias because people don't look like us, but we have even more compassion to people who do. And I think it's that recognition like, wow, that's like scary, I thought, you know, because I can almost see that, you know, people just, you know, if somebody doesn't look like me or or live in my community, that I have a certain feeling, tribal reptilian feeling about them. But to think that that not only extends to your survival instincts, some people say, mm-hmm. but to your ability to tap into your heart for compassion, that's mm-hmm. scary. And I share that with the judges. Um, and when I, you know, and so you see those kind of things playing out. I, I had two women who almost gotten, I, I thought, I thought I was going to have to hit the buzzer because I was, I became race, you know, I'll never date a black guy. And this black and this African woman responded, well, what the heck are you talking about? And then it's like, oh my God. And then I said, like, oh, okay. And I used to bring a little Tara and a little angel. And it's like, okay, redirect your attention to these two. You know, let's let's take a second. Let's get quiet. And let's connect. Well, two weeks later, they came back and they were in the same lunch line together. And they started talking. And when they talked about their lives, they had much more in common about being sexually abused at the same age being in the same kind of relationships with men and women, mm-hmm. uh, the number of children they had. And what they realized was having the conversation instead of taking it out on each other, they had so much more in common mm-hmm. than their skin color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, nobody made them realize that. And, and I think that if we are, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not a therapist, but I've seen the benefits of folks being allowed to have conversations in groups. Yeah. You know, without it becoming a complaint session about the, the facility. I mean, we, we don't go there. Yeah. You know? And once I put a kibosh to it the first time, we didn't go there again. This isn't, you know, your chance to, you know, compare your wings and, you know, who's, you know, um, if our conversation was relevant to, our conversations are relevant to our topic. And our topic is whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I mean, there were, you know, and there was things I would share in the D in the survivors group, but morphed into a life group, you know, it's just the life group. And right, we can all talk about life because we live it. I, I, I think this is the this is it goes back again to this idea of um, if you create the space then the healing will happen. Um, and without needing it to be, you know, without it's a life group, you know, the, the it's, you know, it's not this one focus, but it encompasses the wholeness of it because somehow down beneath this cognitive level, we're interacting with each other on a different level, on a different level. And, and in finding comfort and commonality and safety in that group, um, patterns of survivalism, self-protection, start to unwind themselves naturally, I think, because we're more given towards connection than we are disconnection. Well, when you start realizing the reason I'm a master manipulator 
is because I'm scared. It's out of fear and out of survival because this is how I survived on the streets. Yeah. And I manipulate, you know, I'm, I'm going to play these guards against, I don't get my way with this one guy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to this other guy and, and see if I can't talk them. And then, but those two are going to talk because that's the nature of the facility. And now I'm in trouble. And well, it's because I've lived my life, you know, playing, you know, I, I've survived yeah. playing this manipulation game because it's the only game that I know to play to survive. Yeah. You know, many of us have not had to survive on the streets or survive as children. And I see, and, and you know, I, I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm hoping people don't take offense to this comparison, but one of the things I do is I spend time with shelter dogs and I see what trauma being in a traumatic situation does to a being, regardless of what label you put on that being and how they're scared, they're timid. If men have abused them, they'll pee on themselves the minute they see a man Mm-hmm. And then the great work people do to slowly unwind and develop trust. Yeah. Be it a human being, be it a, 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 a being living in a shelter home with other, like with dogs or cats, you know, although the cats seem to have a much different attitude, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, with, but with the dogs, it's, you see these people work with them daily to yeah. gain trust yeah and i think what's one of the things that maybe i don't maybe systems don't do is how do i how do we make people trust again who've been abused by people who are supposed to love them as a child you know somebody sexually abuses me or beats me and they're my caretaker they're the people who i've been abandoned by you know by my mom my mom chooses drugs over me. Right. You know, a child doesn't understand the trauma a person may be doing, going through as to why they're using the drugs. The child understands you would rather sleep with these guys. You would rather, and Healing Neen talks about this some, you know, and then the pattern she fell into because her mother lived and what broke the pattern, the generational pattern to where her daughter's going to some of the best schools in in, in Maryland, she's broken the pattern with her daughter, although she lost many children to the, to the system until somebody addressed the trauma in her life. She, she stopped it. She broke it. Yeah. You know, but she needed to do the work. And that's another aspect of this we haven't even gone into is the recognition and then the willingness to do the work, just like any one of us. So, yeah. Okay. Now we're like, Officially almost a half an hour. We are, yeah, we are. Yeah, you know, and I've got a question on the tip of my tongue right now, and I'm not going to ask it. I'm going to hold it because uh, it, I, it's it's another half an hour. I know it. Um, Victor, I really appreciate your time and, and everything that you do. I mean, and of course you work with shelter dogs as well, you know. Um, but I just, I'm hoping I, so, you understand I brought that up just – because that there's just this I you held it trauma. you you, you kept know? that from us for two hours. <laughs> you know, I know yeah. look, I don't know how it feels um for somebody to recognize uh how giving you are. And um if your hope for your path in life was to um 
maybe affect some lives along the way, um, I guarantee you, you have uh, succeeded. Um, but not as much as they've affected my life. Well, I, and I hear that so much. Not as much as they've affected my life, you know. I hear that. Yeah, but I don't think I don't know. I don't think I could. Yeah. Anyways, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm looking forward. We we definitely should do this again sometime, and I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again. I remember being in Albuquerque and uh, having you there in the training and going through the whole first day and then uh, coming up and chatting with you afterwards and only then finding out that you're uh, a retired judge. And I thought, oh man, I hope I hope I didn't have a whole bunch of bullshit in there that he's right and ready to call me on. So, but thank you. Uh, so thank yeah. you for all Blair, Priscilla, Bill, thank you for all you do. And, uh, and I want to thank the community out there for hanging in here with our conversation. And I'm hoping this has been a benefit um, to, to y'all because it sure has been to me. So 